the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm always very thankful when you join me. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. And we have a really exciting hour. I'm very um, happy to have this guest with me today. This is Pastor Mark Buckley, and he has quite a ministry and has been in ministry for a very long time, long, haven't you? Long, time. And he's got this wonderful radio <laughs> voice, which I love. They say I have a radio face, too, <laughs> That's funny. So you, you were pastoring... Living Streams yes, Church, yeah. My yes. wife and I started Living Streams in our living room in 1984 with one other family, and it just started to grow little by little. That's amazing. To what it is today. Wow, that's amazing. So what is, what is the main impetus of your ministry now? What are you really focused on? Now I on? work with pastors and leaders. I preach and teach around the valley and in different areas and, uh, and let people know Jesus is alive. And I try and strengthen and encourage churches when I preach and also... Uh, encourage pastors, especially to have a healthy lifestyle, because I lost my equilibrium, lost my emotional health as a pastor back when I was in my 40s. And it can really set you back and it can cause a lot of turmoil. If it, My philosophy is that if a pastor's healthy, chances are the church can be healthy. If a pastor isn't healthy, then the whole church has negative consequences. Well, you know, I did a show on burnout because I, you know, burnout is one of the worst. I had that in 2008. And, you know, I really talked to my clients about that and especially pastors because once you burn out, you don't come back. Not right away. I mean, it it really takes a toll on you. It really does. My, My definition of somebody heading for burnout is somebody that's putting out more energy than they're recovering on a consistent basis. And it's as foolish as spending more money than you replenish on your bank account and running up your credit exactly. cards because then an emergency comes and you've got nowhere to go. Well, it's a, it's emotional bankruptcy is what, right. ha- you know, and, and it's just one of the, I, I think it really goes against anything that Jesus did. That is not right. how he lived. And so I say to people, you know, your mind can think of a lot of things. Your spirit may want to do a lot of things, but you're still in a right. mortal body. That's right. And we have to take care of it. So I'm a pastor, you're a psychologist, and we're supposed to help people to get healthy and to stay healthy. But if we're not healthy, it doesn't matter what we're preaching, what they catch isn't really going to be good for them. It doesn't have any power. It really, and that is one of the most amazing things that people don't realize that it's like, you know, if you're not living it, 
then you're not delivering it either. Right. You know? That's a good, that's a good, that'll preach. I just preach. made that up. Yeah, if you're not no. living it, you're not going <laughs> to deliver. deliver it. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. We're, we're all ambitious, and we want our lives to count. We want to reach people for Christ. And ministry and um, all kinds of behavioral health work is exciting. It's yes, fulfilling. Yes, it is. And, and so you just get running on adrenaline after a while, and that, always catches up with you. It takes faith to set a healthy pace. That's a good one, too. Yeah. I like that one. It takes faith to set a healthy, healthy pace. I'll use that one. That's awesome. Well, good. So tell us, you know, you have this really, really exciting story about meeting Pope Francis. Yes. And I was so encouraged by, it was kind of like a blog that you mm-hmm. wrote about. Right. Because, you, you know, and I really, I was raised a Christian, but I, I wasn't you know, as an adult, I, I made a real decision for Christ. Right. And um, and I was very offended. This was in the early 90s when I kept hearing all these Christians judging Catholics and saying Catholics aren't saved. They're not right. Christians. And, you know, I, I would say to people, you know, you need to be careful talking against the Catholic Church. I mean, it doesn't mean it doesn't right. have problems right. like every church does, but it doesn't mean there might be some, some strange doctrine. But they are the church that reveres Christ more than any church I know. Well, it's true. I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for the way I was raised. Um, the The problem for me was I needed the Word of God to come alive, and the yes. Word of God wasn't really coming alive in the context of the masses. And I began to drift, and I began to wonder, and I began to question. And um, And I think it's because the Lord didn't intend to use me in the Catholic Church long term. He intended to use me to start non-denominational churches, and um, but many of the people in our church, I would say probably more than any other representation, were raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and they they got spiritually hungry and they right, needed something right, more. Exactly. So um, I went with Gary Kinnaman and Joe Tassini and uh, Cal Jernigan and Brian Kruckenberg and their wives and a bunch of other people. There were sixty of us in all. And we had a couple of different meetings with Pope Francis, one of them for two hours. And um, first, let me just say that the Apostolic Palace is fascinating. It is incredibly beautiful. I can't imagine. Yeah, marble floors and and some of the most spectacular paintings I've ever seen and incredible gold gilded ceilings and all the rest. Well, that's when they were making, you know, temples and churches as as wanting to revere Right, God, and to make beautiful things for God, and then right. it kind of lo- got lost when it became more about the, the palace than, than, the than person, yes, yeah. than the art that we're making for God. On the other hand, um, I, I used to be a big critic of it, and yet when I think about it this way, um, if you build something out of wood, it'll be good for fifty years, maybe, maybe eighty years if you paint it a few times. If you build something out of marble, it could be beautiful for a couple of thousand years. So they've built some beautiful things that are awe-inspiring, that are lasting for generations and generations. Is that it was intent, churches were intended to inspire and be awe-inspiring of God. And that's what all those beautiful pictures and the stained glass windows and, you know, it was supposed to be a different feel than your house. Right. And and there's definitely a place for it. Mm -hmm. There is definitely a place for it. But the thing that impressed me most was meeting Pope Francis and he is so 
humble. He is so down to earth. He doesn't live in the apostolic palace, which where most of the popes have lived for centuries. He lives in a much more humble area. And when we asked him why, he said it's because he wants to be around people. You know, he wants to eat with people and talk with people. He doesn't want to be living in some isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that also really impressed me is that he was always quoting scripture. When whenever wow. we asked him a question, um, he would quote like Matthew. He'd quote Matthew twenty five, and then say, "Jesus said, you know, if you're going to reach out to the poor, the blind, the the lame, the the prisoner, the person that's sick, you know, you're doing whatever you do to the least of these, you're doing it to me." And he'd say, "Don't give the poor just a coin; give them a hug. They mm. need to be touched." Wow, and that's his heart. That's he. He was washing a poor man's feet like the day after he was recognized as pope. He, they've installed in the Vatican um, places for homeless people to get showers and haircuts and coffee and all for so free. So he really is being Christ to people. Yeah, he's setting the example. Yes, yes, and um, that's wonderful. And so I, I'm thinking, why is he spending two hours with us? You know, and the answer is that. He wants people to know that he doesn't think you have to be a Catholic to be saved. You know, he doesn't think you have to be a Catholic to be right with God. He believes that Christ is present in churches all over, whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, or whatever. And we're called to fulfill the prayer of John 17, which is to love one another. And if we love one another, then the world knows Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a, that is amazing. It's really big things are happening in the yeah. Christian world right that now. That is a big thing. Because really when I was raised thing. a Catholic, we were told basically that we're the only true church. Mm-hmm. Peter started it. Everybody else is lost. And why bother to even go visit them? And now it's come full circle where Pope Francis is saying, you know, we love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, then you're our then brothers. We're brothers, yes. Yeah. Wow. I, it really is kind of amazing what's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you see happening? when you, As a pastor, you've been one for a long time. Yeah. What do you see Jesus doing? Well, I see that he is helping his children in every church recognize that we belong together yes, in love. That yes. there really is unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And stopping the competition. Yeah, and, and the fighting over non-essentials. You know, it, it doesn't, I mean, years ago when when I was a young pastor in California in the early 70s, we were like the only church in our county that sang contemporary worship songs. So it was easy to reach young people because we didn't have any competition. Well, you were like the surfer dude pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what we had going for us, which which allowed us to touch people where they really lived. And And I believe the church should be relevant in the culture. I don't think Jesus bored people. I don't think that Jesus uh, was wearing a bunch of robes that made it difficult for people to relate to him. I believe not only the children crawled up on his lap, but his disciples could give him a hug or give him a high five because he was a real guy. You know, I I think one of the things that, that I really pray a lot about and that really bothers me is this arguing over doctrine. I think what mm-hmm. you're saying is, you know, you know, we really need to stop thinking that our doctrine is this and your doctrine is wrong. Right. And and in this idea of, wait, let's just really unify on the essentials. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, obviously there are some 
essential doctrines. Absolutely. That Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died yes. on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead. But it's not essential whether or not you're a Calvinist and I'm an Armenian, whether you believe in 14 gifts of the Holy Spirit operating today or whether you only believe that there's a couple of them. You know what I mean? Yes, Obviously, yes. it's a big help to believe the truth because the truth sets you free. That's right. But um, it's... Well, basically what Pope Francis was saying is that if we learn to wash one another's feet first, then we can reach each other's heads. You know, start oh, with that's the feet awesome. and then work to the head. I love that. Yeah. Well, so we have about one minute. And um, I, I really want to talk a little bit more about just some of of your heart and what God has been showing you. Because you've been in ministry for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? And, and I love hearing people's stories. Yeah. You know, and, and how God has moved through them and in them and, and all the different ways that God is revealing himself. Well, our our goal was to plant a healthy local church. And I, w- I was part of a Jesus People ministry when I got saved in 1970, and I became an ordained pastor at 1974. I was 24 years old. It didn't take a big uh, criteria to be qualified in those days. If you just kept away from backsliding for a few years, then you were a leader. Um, but, well, we have, we have to end here at this, but, but um, listeners, please make sure you join us in the next segment as we talk to Pastor Mark Buckley just about all these amazing just spiritual insights that he has. So you can also visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com if you can't listen to the show in its entirety. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. So glad that you are joining me. And I have with, um, with us today Pastor Mark Buckley, who has been in ministry for many, many years. And I highly respect him and the ministry that he does. And so he just has great insights for us. And, and I always like people's stories. So you kind of started it a little bit in the last segment. All right. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of my okay. testimony. Okay, good. Um, I was raised Catholic family. I got really lost as a teenager because I was experimenting in the 60s with drugs, sex, rocks and, rock and roll. I started traveling around the country. I ended up in a mental institution when I was 19 from an overdose of psychedelic drugs. I ended up taking... Um, electric shock treatments and all kinds of stuff. And I got out of there and I was depressed. And I began to just pray, God, if you can get me out of this mess, then I'll be a priest, you know. Well, he got me out of the mess. And then I thought, oh, no, I don't want to be a priest. (laughs) I want to get married someday. (laughs) And um, so I went and talked to my godfather. And and, uh, I said, Owen, what can I do? You know, I told God I'd be a priest. He said, well, be an Episcopalian priest. And it just, he sort of opened my eyes and said, well, it's a big world out there, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I started getting involved in Bible studies and uh, following Jesus when I was 20. And um, the Word of God for the first time ever started coming alive to me. It just, I, I had never really read the Bible before when I read it and then applied it. Uh, like Jesus would say, give to him who asks of you. And so I had a truck, and guys would ask, can I borrow your truck? And so I'd lend them the truck, and they'd come back with dings in it and, and dents in it and no gas. And But I kept doing what Jesus said. And then when my truck uh, finally was destroyed, I got a car. The car got stolen. After the car got stolen, a guy gave me a brand-new Ford pickup truck 
four-wheel drive. Oh, my goodness. And it was – and then from then on, people gave me new cars every – I mean, for years and years and years. It was unbelievable. Isn't it – it's amazing how God works. Yeah, yeah. He tests us. Mm-hmm. But, yes, he um, does. And, and so I got to know that Jesus is alive because his word – was true. And I remember one time I was hitchhiking because I didn't have a driver's license. I had lost it because of excessive tickets. <laughs> and um, then I got in an accident in the middle of the year with a suspended license. So I didn't bother to reapply for a while. So I did a lot of hitchhiking. <laughs> so I'm a new believer and I get picked up by a guy and he seems a little lost. So I asked him, first time I ever asked somebody if they knew that Jesus was alive. And he's like, what? So I started talking to him about Jesus and the Holy Spirit started giving me words to say that I had read in the Bible. And I realized this wasn't just me. This was the Spirit. And Jesus said, uh, I won't leave you alone. When I leave, you're going to be better off, and I'm going to send the Spirit. And I realized he did it. He sent me the Spirit, and that means he's alive. And then I got really excited. <laughs> you're witnessing to yourself. Yeah. Well, it's like it's amazing how that when the Holy Spirit's working and we know we're just normal, regular people— it encourages us tremendously. Well, it's you know it's always fascinating to me in my work, you know my my job with clients when I'll start hearing myself talking and I'm like that's kind of amazing. Yeah. And I know it's not it's not me. You know right. I know it's Jesus really speaking to this person what they really need to hear mm-hmm. what's going to be really freeing to them. Right. Right. And that's what we're hoping our listeners are going to receive Absolutely. today. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so one day I went to Stinson Beach with a friend and we picked up some hitchhikers coming home and um and we had been talking to people at the beach about the Lord and handing out tracts. So we pick up these two kids and we're witnessing to them as we're driving over Mount Tamalpais back to uh where their house was as we drop them off we said would you guys like to accept the Lord? And they said, yes. And I was shocked. Nobody had ever said yes before. (laughs) And so we prayed with them to accept Jesus. And a week later, they called me up and they said, Mark, we want to have a Bible study. Will you teach us? I said, I can't teach you. I don't know anything about the Bible. I've told you everything I already know already. And um, so that's okay. Say it again. (laughs) They called me up a week later and said, we've got another guy that's teaching us, will you come to the meeting? And so I couldn't say no. So I go to their Bible study. And the first time I show up, the other guy that was teaching it said, oh, Mark Buckley's here now. I'm going to be leaving. He'll be the new teacher. And and that's how I started teaching the Bible, just default, you know. <laughs> I was set up. And I was so nervous every Tuesday night. I couldn't hardly eat or anything because I had to prepare the scripture for people. And um, so Long story short, I just got back from the Czech Republic as well as Rome, and and the sister of the guy that I picked up hitchhiking in 1971 was who, who I was visiting in the Czech Republic. She was in junior high school when she accepted Jesus. She got married as the years went on. She and her husband have lived in the Czech Republic for over 30 years, raised their kids there, fluent in the language, planted a couple of churches. And we had this little Bible study in Tiburon, California. We used to pray, God, use us to reach the world. Lord, we want you to send revival. Well, you know, we'd grow from 12 to 20 people, and all of a sudden, when people brought their friends, everybody would get nervous. Nobody would have anything to share. Nobody would want to pray. And then we'd drop back down to 12 people again, and we'd think, oh, no, 
the revival passed us by. But out of that 12 people, one girl went to Turkey with her family for over 20 years, raised her kids there. This girl went to Czech Republic. Another one of the little girls became a Campus Crusade for Christ leader. And, I mean, they literally changed the world, but it took a lot longer than we thought it would. Well, and it's 12. That's how many Jesus had. Yeah. You know, that yeah. It, so it, it is kind of interesting, the human capacity for what we really can do. And doing, you know, the masses, it's, you right. know, sometimes is a lot more difficult than saying, if I change this one person, yeah. they know someone and they and know, you know. Cynthia, the Lord is never in a hurry. That, that is reasons. so true. And that, that I've come to learn that as I've gotten older, that he has yeah. perfect timing. And right. he does it whenever he's, when he's going to do it, he does it. And you can't rush him. Because I'm sure you had dreams for like mm-hmm. a radio ministry and all different years oh, I was, and No, years I was going to be a rock star. Oh, yeah? That's what I, t- I dropped out of college and I uh-huh. told my dad I'm going to be. So are you a singer? I am. I am a really? singer, yes. You want to yeah. just hum us a little tune here? <laughs> no. We're in, we got to go in two minutes. <laughs> I'll beat on the desk. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's good. But But he isn't in a hurry because he's building our character and he wants our work to last. He wants us to bear fruit that remains. And that's how we get in trouble in ministry. That's how we lose our health is when we're pushing, when we're rushing, when we're thinking that we've got to accomplish more than the Lord is interested in us accomplishing. Well, and sometimes we get confused as to a good idea, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking it's God's idea and God's like, well, that, you know, because I have a lot of ideas, right? but God doesn't want to do all the ideas. Right. You know, and it's really that that growing as a Christian, learning to say, "Well, if that's God's idea, He will ma- He will He'll have it come to pass." For it. Yeah. You know, and I can't get all worked up in it because that's part of where we can get burned out. Well, and, and and I know a lot of believers. We used to run Christian bookstores, and I've seen a lot of people open Christian book and Bible stores and lose all their money. They have a great motive, they have a great desire, but. They don't have the financial backing right, and the wisdom right. they need because it's a very difficult business, then there's not much profit in it. Well, I think it's really learning. Like One of the things that I had to really learn the hard way was that I have this gift of being a musician, mm-hmm. but that was not what God's plan for me was. Yeah. And that was, that was tough because I did not understand that. Right. You know, I kept thinking, why do I have this gift if you don't? You know, and I was a worship pastor for a, quite a long time. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join us in the next segment. We we have Pastor Mark Buckley with us, which is, he's a very inspiring man. So I think you'll enjoy listening to him. Make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and so glad that you are joining me today. I have with me today a very special guest, Pastor Mark Buckley. If you're just tuning in, make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and you can listen to the show in its entirety. So thank you, Pastor Mark, for being here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Cynthia. Um, I was letting you know a little bit of my testimony, and and so I started with this little Bible study, and I did that for a couple years, and then started another one. And then in 1973, a group of us started a church, and I was an assistant pastor in it. 
And basically, there were all these people getting saved in the Jesus movement. We would literally have people saved every week in our Bible studies. I mean, first-time decisions so for Christ. So inspiring. It was wonderful. You know, we just thought that was normal Christianity, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but in reality, we were fishing in waters nobody had ever fished in before. These kids had never even heard the gospel before. Wow. So um, we started a little church, and uh, the church grew to about 400 people um, by 76, and then we purposefully broke into four local churches, uh, one in Petaluma, one in Nevada, one in San Rafael, one in San Francisco. And my friend and I started the one in Nevada with 30 people, and over the next um, seven years or so, it grew to like 600 people, and we had discipleship houses and a Christian bookstore and a Christian school and all kinds of stuff. We didn't own any property. We were poor, but we had a lot of ministry going on. <laughs> and people got saved and married and had kids in the church. So the, the, it was really a tight-knit spiritual family. But our oldest son had asthma, and he would turn blue in the middle of the night, and he couldn't breathe. And Christina and I would be waking up with him and rubbing his back and putting a, the humidifier on high and putting him in a shower and and one, uh, in January of 83, I was teaching over in Wales at a school of missions that my friends had started. And Christina called me up and she said, Mark, you always said that if I really needed you, you'd come home. I need you. The doctor said, either we get Matthew out of here or he's going to die. Oh she had just had him in the emergency wow. room the night before. And they said, he's not going to make it if we don't get out of here. So we had sent him out to Phoenix twice and discovered that he could live a normal life out here. And so we knew we had an alternative. And so we moved in February of 84 real quick, just gave two weeks notice to the church and um, started over, started living streams in our living room. Oh my, that's amazing. Yeah. And it, it broke my heart. It made me sad. It made me disillusioned. I wondered, where's God? Why, why don't you want me doing what I was doing? Because we were in an area where 90% of the people didn't go to church anywhere, including the Catholic Church. And now I'm back in Phoenix, and uh, there's churches all over the place. So what the heck am I doing here? And, and obviously, you know, over the course of my life, I prayed, Lord, let your word come alive to me. That's been one of my big prayers. Well, I started seeing things like Joseph and Mary having to leave the promised land and move to Egypt, even though Joseph probably would have said, hey, this isn't my kid. I'm taking care of him for you. Even though this Proverbs say the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord and he turns it any which way he wants. Lord, you can turn the king's heart. Why are you sending me to Egypt? I don't know anybody there. I don't have family there. I don't have friends there. Why? And and yet God's like, just trust me. See, I think that's the, one of the keys. I always say to myself, I either trust him or I don't. Right. I can't like just arbitrarily, I trust him today, but I don't. I mean, I, it was a hard thing in our relationship with God to really know how to trust when it really doesn't make sense. And our heart is broken. Yeah. That, yeah. That's one of the hardest things. And when you have a long history with Jesus, you know, you would think that I would get it by now, Mm -hmm. you know, that he's proven himself so many times that he really does know the right way to go for me and what's best for me. Trusting by its very definition is difficult because um, it means that we're not getting what we want when we want it. Absolutely. And trusting is believing 
that the weight is good for us. And, you know, I, I've been hurt. You've been hurt by authority figures. Um, it's hard to trust when men are part of the equation and men sometimes are untrustworthy. That's pretty much why the scripture says, trust God and love your brother. It doesn't say trust your brother. You right, know. right. You know, I think that's one of the hardest things is is when you're doing, you think you're doing God's work and then he's doing it in a different way. Right. And you have to just say, okay, that's not where we're going. When yeah. you had your heart set on it and right. it seemed so right. It seemed so right. Mo- you can have the right motives and not get the right results. You know? Absolutely. Because either he's the Lord or we're the Lord, you know. And if he's the Lord, then he's going to do a lot of things we don't understand. So it is that it's that old, really easy song: trust and obey. No yeah, other, there's yeah. no other way. So over the course of the years, I mean, my goal in starting Living Streams was to uh, try and do a healthy church. Well, this well, we have one more segment with you, so make sure, listeners, that you join us back in this next segment with Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host today, and so thankful that you're joining me. And I want to make sure that you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. You can listen to all the shows in their entirety if you're just tuning in right now. Also, if you would like a keynote speaker for any of your, your groups, your corporation, I can always tailor make a um, whatever kind of discussion or lecture you are needing. So thank you for joining us. And here today we have Pastor Mark Buckley, which is always so fun to talk with you, Mark, really. Yeah. And so we are, we are really talking about just the Christian life and how we are walking that out. So you have some great insights for us. Well, I've also uh, had some great heartbreak too. I have to yes. tell you this. So um, we got our living streams going and it, it, it started growing very slowly, but by the grace of God, it began to eventually prosper. And um, by 1991, we built our, or bought our first building. And um, my son, Matthew, had been a, a real key reason why we had moved here. He was the reason we moved here. And he was old enough to appreciate it. And he had invited friends to church. Some of the first normal people that ever came to our church came because he invited them <laughs> in a funny. soccer game. Yes. Um, and he, he grew to six foot three, had his own uh, professional photography business, worked for the Phoenix Suns as a photographer, invited his friends to church. And then on June 1st, 1992, he and his friends were going down the Salt River um, to being uh, school had just gotten out for the year. And that afternoon, Christina and called me up and said, Mark, you got to come home. Matthew's in the hospital. And we drove down to Scottsdale Osborne Hospital. And there's our son with all these tubes coming out of him. And he had uh, playfully fallen off his tube right where the river went um, on a bend. There was a vortex that sucked him down. He was underwater for 20 minutes oh my and brain dead. Oh, my god! Uh, he lived for three days in the hospital, and then he died. And I was devastated. I was totally crushed because I loved him, and he loved the Lord, and he loved us. And um, he was the life of our family, the oldest of our four kids. And um, 
two of the friends that he had brought to church the day before the accident were, were tubing with him. There was a whole group of friends that were tubing. And I remember asking this one girl, Alicia, uh, what would you think of the service when she came over for lunch after that day? And she said, ah, it was all right, you know, kind of thing. And I could tell it didn't impress her much. But she accepted Jesus, and mm-hmm. so did her boyfriend, Carl, and so did a bunch of the other kids in the hospital the three days that he was fighting for his life. But we didn't get the miracle that we wanted, you know. Um, no dad would even trade salvation of a bunch of kids for the life of their son. At least I wouldn't. No. Um, but so I, I cried every day for maybe nine months, and, and after that, every other day for a long, long it's, time. You know, it's amazing how oftentimes people die in order for, in order for others to live. Yeah. And you just, but it's it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. It and, is, and it can really shake you to your core because, you know, when things like that don't make any sense, it's a good good thing. And why would you not save him? Yeah, well, especially when he loves the Lord. But yes, the truth yes. of the matter is that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, and sometimes God's precious saints die. So this girl Alicia, um, she accepts Jesus. She starts hanging around our house. A couple years later, she marries one of the guys that also was hanging around our house. The, he, he goes to law school. They have a child. She's then pregnant with her second child, and she gets the news that she's got cancer. And the doctors want to take the baby and uh, because they need to save her life. And she and her husband pray about it, and they're like, nope, we're not giving up the baby. Um, we'll have an operation you know, after the, the birth. And so... The baby is delivered. Turns out it's healthy. She has a, a partial hysterectomy. They take one ovary. They say, no, don't ever get pregnant again or the cancer could return. She gets pregnant again. And our family freaks out. you got to have an abortion. And she's like, no, we're trusting God with this baby. Well, long story short, today she has six kids. And they love the Lord. And that's just one of the kids that started following Jesus when Matt died. And that brings us a lot of joy to see some of the fruit from his life. But um, the truth is God is not a formula, and no matter how much you, quote, pray a hedge of protection, there's going to be times when things happen in people's lives that will break your heart. If you love deeply, you'll also grieve deeply. I think that's very well said. And I I really want to encourage listeners today that if you are in the middle of a heartbreak and you're not feeling like you can trust God, that you're in good company, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) I mean, we've been there, and and we probably will be there maybe again. I don't know. I mean, certainly my faith has grown, obviously, and has gotten stronger. But it doesn't mean that I don't hurt as deeply. Yeah. I was talking to a, a man today whose wife had just died, and He's a psychiatrist, and he was crying, and he knew that it's healthy to cry. It's healthy to grieve, but it still was very difficult, very, very painful for him. But that's the only way you can heal from the inside out. You can't figure out why God allows pain in your life, but you can allow it to process in a healthy way because if you don't, then uh, you just get bitter, you get angry, and, and it ends up causing complicating problems. Well, and I that I think that's really important because it's hard to understand the grieving process because sometimes 
things hit us harder than we would have ever thought they right. would. Right. And and there are some there's some grief that doesn't really go away. Right. I mean, the loss of your son, you don't cry about it every day now. Right. And you've, you know, there's been some beautiful things that came from, you know, that horrible situation. But you never get over. Right. Really. It, it changes you. Absolutely. And the reality is... We're all called to love one another, and whether it's in your family or with your friends in the body of Christ, and when you love one another deeply, you're vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, sometimes you're going to be hurt. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a blessing that comes when we love deep enough to mourn and to grieve. And people that protect themselves by keeping a wall around their heart never experience God's power in that kind of a profound way. And it's very sad. Well, and I tell clients many times and my friends, I've told my, you know myself that, you know, things are worth crying over. Otherwise, they don't mean anything. Yeah. So when we, when we cry over the loss of someone, we weep, we mourn over, or, or even if they're, they're not passing away, but they have a hardship. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of the coming alongside. That's, that's the healthiest thing that we can do for people is truly cry right. and weep for yeah. that loss. Weep with those yes. who weep. Yes, exactly. That's what people need. They need a friend. Mm-hmm. They need somebody who loves them enough. Now, some people say, well, I'm not sure what to say. You don't have to say anything other than, I'm sorry for your pain. And and being a presence, just right. just a presence is is helpful. Yep. I mean, yep. What what would you tell people that are struggling with trusting God again if they've been hurt? Um I would tell them that um he is a good father and he will work that pain for the good if you let him. Um the truth is that his word never fails. What happens to us is that we grab a hold of a scripture promise, one promise, um, and we say, well, if you don't fulfill this promise, then I don't know if I can trust you. Here's what Jesus said to the disciples of John the Baptist that I found very interesting. John was in prison for preaching the truth about marriage to King Herod, right? Um, King Herod was going to have him executed, and John could sense that this was going to happen. So he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, uh, are you the one that was going to come and save us or not? <laughs> and and because John was there when Jesus got baptized, he was the guy that saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. He was the one who declared, this is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. But now he's languishing in a prison. What he's really saying is, do you love me or not, Jesus? I thought that I was doing what you wanted me to do with all my heart, and now I'm dying. I'm I'm about to get executed. So here's what Jesus says in response. And executed for doing the right thing. For doing the right thing. Yes. And Jesus had said in Matthew eleven eleven, from he said, nobody ever born among women is greater than John the Baptist. Nobody. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So see, what he was saying is Moses, Elijah, um, Isaiah, none of those guys were greater than John the Baptist. But here's what his response was to John's disciples. He said, go tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, the poor have the good news preached to them. 
but blessed is he who is not offended in me. Mm-hmm. In yes, other words, yes. there are miracles, and miracles are happening for people. But every one of us, sooner or later, one way or another, gets offended because the one prayer that we really wanted maybe doesn't get answered. Maybe it has to do with your kids. Maybe it has to do with not being able to have kids. Maybe it has to do with your marriage. Maybe it has to do with the fact that you were never married. Maybe it has to do with your health. Maybe it has to do with somebody that you love very much and things are not going well. So so we get offended because God could do 25 miracles, but it's the 26th one that we really want him to do. And Jesus basically is saying, I love John the Baptist, but I'm not going to deliver him. And that's a sign and a testimony that I do not always do the miracle that the people I love really want me to do, but I still love them with all my heart. And I I think that's really important wisdom because it is hard when you got all these other miracles to prove why right. you can trust in Jesus. Right. And then, you know, we are human, and yeah. the one miracle we need, help, ha- our, our trust falters. Right. You right. know, even though he's done all this. Or the other thing, the offense many times is, I'm seeing God do all this for everybody else, yeah. but not me. Yeah. Why That's not me? Exactly right. And we take that so personally. Yes, we do. And uh, it's inevitable, but we have to be able to process it. And just sort of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they said, you know, you throw us in that fiery furnace, our God can protect us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to your idol. In other words, we're not giving in to unbelief, to anger, to bitterness, to resentment. Because that is the idolatry of I've got to have God providing whatever I want whenever I want it. He's God. He does not provide whatever we want whenever we want it. There is no formula that guarantees that. Our faith is like theirs. He's good. He's got the power. But even if he doesn't release it, I'm still not bowing down. I'm going to serve the Lord my God. And that is what Je- how Jesus lived his life too. Yeah. You know, when, when he's dying on the cross and, and God turned his face. Yeah. Yeah. So he he uh, he really understands. So right. we have maybe one minute. Would you just pray for the listeners? I'd be happy to. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters out there. Some have been wounded. Some are hurting. I pray that the comfort of your Holy Spirit will come. Lord God, I pray that you will help us. Lord, forgive us for when we withdraw. Forgive us when we become afraid. Forgive us for when we become bitter because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Amen. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure to have been yes. here, Cynthia. God really, bless you and your thank ministry. Thank you. Really appreciate you being here today. So, again, listeners, uh, this was Pastor Mark Buckley. And would you like to give a website? As- yeah, um, you can look us up at livingstreams.org or you can go to markbuckleyministries.com. Perfect. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again, listeners, for joining us today. And I hope that you are blessed and that you can really integrate that beautiful prayer that he prayed for us. Join, uh, join me next week and make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Have a blessed week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. 
The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at faithtalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.